What's up, guys? It's Matt Whitmore, and this is episode number 32 of Fitter Food Radio. Kerris. We're nearly at my age. How you doing? <laughs> A few more episodes and we're at my age. Nearly. <laughs> How old are you now? 34. Thanks Cracking for on. that, Matt. Cracking <laughs> on. I'm still 29. In my youth, in my prime. Give me a few more years and I'll wear you down. Okay, guys. So, episode number 32. Me, Keris, and we've got an awesome guest. And probably one of the most awesome, awesomest guests we, we have ever had. And she's that awesome. This is a third appearance. Appearance? <laughs> what? You said appearance. No, I didn't. <laughs> it sounded like it. Emma, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> did I really? Yeah. No. Anyway, <laughs> you knew what I meant. It's probably a word somewhere. So, guys, if you haven't guessed, it's Emma Myhill. Emma Myhill is a, a genius naturopathic nutritionist. Um, and can you remember the other thing? And uh, iridologist. Well done. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for the genius bit. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Emma, don't be modest. You're a genius. <laughs> so, how you doing, Emma? Thank you, and I'm very honoured. In my youth, in my prime. Give me a few more years and I'll wear you down. <laughs> okay, guys, so episode number 32, me, Keris, and we've got an awesome guest and probably one of the most awesome, awesomest guests we, we have ever had, and she's that awesome. This is a third appearance. Appearance? <laughs> what? You said appearance. No, I didn't. <laughs> it sounded like it. Emma, what did I say? <laughs> <laughs> Did I really? Yeah. No. Anyway, <laughs> you knew what I meant. It's probably a word somewhere. So, guys, if you haven't guessed, it's Emma Myhill. Emma Myhill is a, a genius naturopathic nutritionist. Um, and can you remember the other thing? And uh, iridologist. Well done. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the genius bit. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Emma, don't be modest. You're a genius. <laughs> so, how you doing, Emma? Thank you, and I'm very honoured to be back for a third go. Oh, well, we've got plenty more for you, don't worry. <laughs> You're almost like a, a resident guest now, really. I mean, however, I say that because normally the last two times you've been on, you've actually came round to our flat for lunch, haven't you? I know. And we normally do it in person, whereas this time it's the first time on Skype. How are you finding it? Yeah, it's good, it's good. It's not the same, though, is it? It's not the same. <laughs> you, you, we, you, you don't get lunch cooked for you over Skype. <laughs> smell anything cooking in the in the oven that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> right so emma so last two times we had you on obviously we spoke about lots of awesome valuable information but um a lot's changed hasn't it since uh, the last episode you've got yeah. you got really fat haven't you <laughs> oh sorry no sorry you got pregnant my bad sorry. <laughs> i've certainly got big boobs and a big belly that's for sure. <laughs> well first of all congratulations Sure, everyone is uh, over the moon for you. And how far gone are you now? I'm well in pregnancy, so so it doesn't baffle everyone because it does initially when you when you first enter the whole NHS pregnancy talk. I'm 25 weeks, so everything is measured by weeks in pregnancy. But mm-hmm. um, for those that are trying to work out how many months, I'm just over six months. It is so confusing because everyone gives you the answer in weeks, and I try and calculate it and just give up and go, "When's your due date?" Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. just easier to count back. I know it, it, it's, it's interesting but I remember the same actually talking to pregnant they're telling me how many weeks they are and I'm like four eight twelve <laughs> 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 I 
And, and I think that's largely because the baby changes so rapidly that week by week there are significant changes and, and I think that's really why they're, why they're calculated. In fact, when I have a midwife appointment, I tell them the weeks and the days that I'm pregnant. Really? Wow. So it's that yeah. fine detail. So how many times have you been... You've had two appointments now, then, have you? Two ultrasounds? Yeah, I've had... No, actually, I've had um, four appointments. Um, you could... It's not... It, it isn't actually compulsory for you to see a midwife at all. But I think um, it's very reassuring to go through the NHS system and just, I mean, I've, I, I had a 12-week scan and I had a 21-week scan. And some people, in fact, I, I think I was reading only um, the other day, actually, Chris Cresser's website, and he was talking about when his wife was pregnant. I don't know if they've had a baby yet, have they? Yeah, yeah, they've got a little girl, yeah. Oh, no, they've got, they've got the second one on the way now, actually, yeah. Ah, right. So maybe she's pregnant I was, again. I was reading his, just out of curiosity, I was reading his pregnancy pregnancy issue and he was saying that his wife didn't have any I mean I say intervention it's not massive intervention but they didn't even have any scans at all but I've it heard is, that's, that's getting more common isn't it and it is it is um I think I probably would have said and I've I'd had a couple of people ask me oh have you bothered with a scan and I said yeah of course and part largely because it's exciting yeah yeah of yeah. course it's really exciting to see what's inside you and it also, I mean, I've, I've had a very, well, a pregnancy, well, I'm sure we'll go into more detail about, but my pregnancy has been, you know, just flown through it. And so I've been incredibly normal the way that I feel as well, the way that I felt not being pregnant. So it's, it's almost reassuring to me to know that everything is actually okay in there. Well, um, just cover for a minute, why, why would people avoid it? Um, generally, that's... You, Thinking of the radiation um, exposure, yeah, it's, then it's the radiation, but it is it is very minimal, and it's I mean it's only for about four minutes, and and I think if if well, I mean I'm I'm on I sit on a fence a little bit because they offer you something that I did refuse was the Down syndrome test, and that's I mean you get you the result that you get back is a percentage, and initially they just test for a blood marker. And I've actually had two friends that agreed to do it, and they came back with what was seen to be a high risk of Down syndrome. And they then had the further choice of then having that, that injection to actually decipher whether it was a Down syndrome baby or not, and they both opted out of it. Now, they spent the rest of their pregnancies feeling it ever so slightly anxious as yeah, to whether, of course. Would, yeah, whether it would be a Down syndrome baby or not. And both pregnancies were absolutely fine and they had incredibly healthy children. And I think all of these, I mean, statistics in, generally, in general are, are always flawed anyway. And the more things that you opt for, yes, I'll do that, yes, I'll have that checked, they try and get you to have vaccinations, they try and get you to take copious amounts of urine samples. And, and, and it's largely speaking, I've opted out of all of those, to be honest. And that's mainly because of the, the outcome, not because of the risks associated with, obviously there's no risk in a urine test, but with some of them it might involve, as in more physical interventions, like isn't, isn't the test for Down syndrome actually a, a drawer of the fluid or is it not? Right, yeah, they go inside the centre. Yeah. So there's a, a damage to the baby, yeah. um, potentially, um, and, and also I just, from what they kind of put together on, um, as to whether it could be a Down syndrome baby is, it is not 
whatsoever. It's not 100% accurate anyway. Well, just looking at your friends who have come back with absolutely fine, you know, and that they had that, that slight risk factor. So it's obviously yeah. not, it's not a foregone conclusion, so... No, yeah. And, and, there's, and I think really you need, to, you need to enter the whole pregnancy NHS cycle and midwife, you know, midwifery, midwives looking after you, not, not losing the fact that you are in control of your body and you can decide what you want to happen and you have the right to refuse anything and you can ask as many questions as you like and you can do further research and you don't, if, if there is something that you're hesitating over, you do have all the time in the world, really. I mean, you've got over nine months of being pregnant to decide and research whether you want to go ahead with something or not. And what uh, what are the other vaccinations? Is there any during pregnancy? I know there's plenty afterwards that are going to be suggested and immediately after birth. Are there any that you're suggested to have in the nine months? Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? They, I, when I first had, when I in, enrolled at um, a hospital, I mean, I'm not going, hopefully, touch wood, I'm not, I'll be having a home birth anyway, but you have to initially enrol at your uh, local hospital where you could give birth if you were, if you wanted to. They go, they ask you about 101 questions and what they say is, oh, you're going to be offered the uh, pertussis vaccination, which is whooping cough vaccination at some stage. And on hearing that, I just thought, <laughs> you know, that's probably the worst time being pregnant where you could have vaccinations. Yeah. You, know, want, you want to be at your utmost optimum health. And if you start having vaccinations, and rather than get into a massive debate about the pros and cons of vaccinations, largely speaking, you're um, affecting your immune systems and you're jeopardising your immune system every time you have a vaccination. So why would you want to do that when you're pregnant? It's such an unnatural thing when you think about it. If you think yeah. back to before vaccinations existed, I know there's a reason for them, and but but like you just said, to, to whack it, treat a disease in the body at the time when you just want to be yeah. in most optimal health, really, just mm. doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I know obviously you know I know there's a logic, but yeah, I'm as, as skeptical as you really when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in terms of vaccinations in general, I, mean, I don't think I'll be vaccinating my baby either, and I, I think I'm probably going to have a little bit of fight there to take on because they do make you feel like a very bad mother if you don't have if you don't vaccinate your child fortunately we're in England and not in America because certainly if you go to America and you have a child and it's not vaccinated then they can't go to any school pretty much oh wow yeah over here we don't have that rule yeah so sort of like hands in hands pocket isn't it like it's almost like you know it's like depriving you of your freedom of as, a, as a parent you yeah. know to make your own decision where are you doing the research on the the vaccinations or like obviously you've you've sort of made some decisions is there any are you looking at any studies or any websites well i, I think in the past i've i've already done research on vaccinations just out of just for what i do to be honest the yeah. field i'm in there is do you know i've forgotten the name of the book there is brilliant book that if I remember the name by the end of this podcast I'll tell you that I read and probably I don't know maybe about eight eight years ago now so quite quite a long time ago I think it's something like vaccinations true the truth about vaccinations but in in all all honesty rather than actually researching into vaccinations what I'm what I know more about is the immune system and I want my immune system to be functioning at its best for the sake of my baby and um I don't think that by giving, allowing myself something that's going to dampen my immune system whilst I'm pregnant 
Mm. It's a good idea. And when you're pregnant anyway, the mother's immune system is suppressed because of your body is naturally trying not to kill off your baby because it is a foreign invader. Yeah. So you don't you don't want to, to put and I mean we're not even mentioning here the, the, the heavy metals that are inside vaccinations as well. And really that's that's more of an issue for me than the vaccination itself. It's the effect of what's also inside those live vaccinations that you're actually putting inside my body. Well, I was going to say, should we go on, move on to what you did um, prior to becoming pregnant? Was this a planned um, pregnancy or uh, did you do something? This is, a, this is a very funny question because it was planned in, in the sense of Dan and I said, actually, let's just not bother. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan planned it. <laughs> you, knew, you knew nothing of it. <laughs> no. And, uh, and I said, actually, yeah, I said, I, I feel it's right as well. And within two days later, I was pregnant. Wow. That's funny. <laughs> do, do you know what? It's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Because your body was ready. Yeah, clearly, you know, you know, you you, you was ready, and because my best mate, I remember when you know we were talking about settling down and all of that, and he was like, yeah, you know, me and me and my girlfriend are going to get married, and then we're gonna no, we're gonna get a house, then we're gonna get married, and then we're gonna have kids, and like clockwork, he literally just done that, and then he was like. Oh yeah, when when the baby's um, about one, we'll uh, we'll have another kid, and then boom, his wife got <laughs> pregnant again, and it was just like it was like a story. It just as he wrote it, it was just decided. It just happened. So so what's interesting for me is that I had unconsciously already started getting my body ready for pregnancy without even realising that I wanted to be pregnant. I have a very bizarre story, actually, and I I don't really know why that happened, but I was reading uh, the Better Baby book, actually, which is a Dave Astley book. Oh, yeah. You've got that book on your coach. Yeah. It's a bit scary in parts. It is. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. It is a little scary in parts. Um, scary, they, scary in what sense? You would never want to be his wife. No. <laughs> <laughs> they, they that's, that's one reason. And the second reason is they advocate the use of uh, hormones, um, synthetic hormones, which I really, really would advise. If anyone does read that book, don't jump into that. Um, and you, you can't really anyway without a, a prescription. I was going to say, it's quite, cause it's quite different in the States with that kind of thing, isn't it? It is, it is. Um, but, but it really, and I suppose why I chose to read that book, I have no idea. Um, I'm often reading about random subjects. Largely, it might be from uh, an inspiration from the potential of meeting a client um, or I'm just, you know, just interested in it as a general. And I think probably since I've been about... 26 and I'm 33 now I've I've had I've always had obviously a keen interest in my own health of an interest of is my would if I were to have a baby would my body be ready for a baby and um the answer to that was obviously yes because two days later I felt pregnant (laughs) (laughs) however um prior to even thinking about becoming pregnant I had our last podcast that we did together we were talking about the fact that I'd started eating meat after not eating meat since I was 18 and and I think that that in itself was a decision where I thought actually my body needs those nutrients I need to be eating those nutrient dense organ meats and I need to be having bone broths and I just thought I, I, I think we discussed the fact that the only reason why I hadn't for so long um, was largely because of, of going I suppose exploring different dietary and trying to find the the one diet that was the best diet, which 
is really the one diet that suits you as an individual, and that goes for every single individual, which I've now learned. Um, but throughout my little um, journey, I thought that meat was bad, and then I went through a phase where I thought, actually, no, and, which I still agree with now, there's nothing wrong with meat. Obviously, you two are sat there salivating for you thinking about meat. <laughs> Max is thinking about bacon. <laughs> um, and then and I just, and, and the only reason why I hadn't yet introduced it myself was because I just didn't want it, I just didn't feel like I didn't fancy it. And then potentially with bringing my hydrochloric acid levels, these are your stomach acid levels, back up to where they are, suddenly I was mentally and perhaps digestively ready to digest meat. And so back in January was when I, I had, I think the first thing I had was a, a steak and then it was venison. Um, so funny that you went straight in there. Straight like in, normally, yeah. when, when I'm trying to help vegetarians, I'm like, try um, some fish or chicken because it's very light. And you know, <laughs> you went right in with a big steak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know that my actual favoured meat is is the rich red meat. Like I'm, I absolutely one of my favourite. I love liver. I absolutely love liver. Really? Yeah. And anything that's a bit gamey. Um, I've got a real taste for. We actually so, yeah. got um, a, a meat box from Paleo Nutrition Wales, um, right. and we tried uh, what was it, crocodile? So it had like we we got their wild meat selection and tried. I think it was uh, crocodile's the only one. We've got some more in the freezer, but so funny because as soon as we eat crocodile, it's like to taste just like chicken. <laughs> That's all. We, most like unusual meat tastes just like chicken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was almost a bit disappointing because you're like, oh yeah, it's well, crocodile, I love, it's I a bit exotic, it. and then you like tastes like a chicken breast. I love chicken, <laughs> so I really liked it. But yeah, it, it, yeah, I know, slight disappointment, I, I, I suppose. Imagine it. I haven't tried uh, crocodile. I would have imagined it to have tasted a little bit more gamey. That's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very light, uh, as in colour, yeah. um, meat. You know, it's, like, it's almost white once you've cooked it, isn't it? Yeah. It's nice. Oh, it was lovely, it. don't get me wrong, yeah. It's more moist than chicken, I think, as well. So it lends itself to just, you know, being pan-fried or whatever. Right, yeah, that's interesting. You should definitely try the meat box, though. It's well worth just experimenting. It's quite exciting with the meat. Big meat box and this. Yeah, actually, currently I have half a lamb in my freezer, so I need to get through that first. What did you do? Did you buy that from a farm directly? Yeah, yeah, Dan bought it from a farm, and he's going. Last night he made, actually, because I I love eating meat now, and I I do like cooking it as well, but sometimes I think for, for having so many years of not cooking meat, I sometimes want other people to cook it for me. Yeah, yeah, that's oh, understandable. Yeah, thou chestnut. <laughs> I'm pregnant, Matt. <laughs> it's a divine right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and last night, Dan, well, he had the, the neck of the lamb. And I said to him, what are you going to do with that? And he said, I'm going to turn it into an amazing curry. And he actually did. Oh, wow. It was awesome. That sounds brilliant. Oh, do you know, when we were in um, Portugal... My dad did the same. He brought whole goats um, from the farmer next door. But he also kept going to the butchers and asking for all the offal meats. And they gave him a, a, a tongue, basically. And this tongue, it was like, would it be ox tongue? Was it an ox tongue? I can't remember. Cow's tongue. Cow's yeah. tongue or whatever. So he came home with this tongue and he does his bone broth. He's just so amazing, my dad. So he did his bone broth and he put the tongue in there for about two days with loads of ginger and uh, rosemary and garlic. The broth tastes amazing. Yeah. And then he lifted this big tongue out and even I, like, I will eat anything, you know, I'm really into it and I'm like, I know it's good for me. But I looked at him and I was like, what the hell do you do with that? 
tongue and he he peeled back the skin which was the worst bit I was like oh my god but then he sliced it and it was absolutely divine and it was really like um, so tender wasn't it it was like slow cooked lamb it was amazing but the worst bit was just peeling the skin off the tongue and like even now I was like saying to Matt that's just challenging me a little bit because it actually has all the you know if you look at a tongue and it's got all the little lumps and bumps on it it was a bit but it tastes amazing and I actually ate it for breakfast it was quite a, an easy meat to eat wasn't it well, once it was sliced you would never have known it was tongue really no no not at all yeah, yeah. that is absolutely your dad needs to come on a podcast I know that's a match Lee. he does just he just reads stuff and just takes it on and just does it just like yeah. you know, no procrastinating or, or whittling about anything he's like yeah yeah I'll get on with that yeah read this about tongue I'm going to eat tongue <laughs> he's amazing he's amazing Let's go back to you, Emma. Yeah. <laughs> back to the, <laughs> oh, sorry, yes, the prenatal I period. <laughs> I was telling you about um, the changes that I've made. Um, and these, 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 these are changes that I would recommend for, you know, preconceptual health. And, but I did them without really knowing that that's what I was doing. <laughs> um, uh, I, so, so you didn't do like a detox or anything? Time. Like beforehand? Um, no, but then you can pretty much safely say with me that I've probably been detoxing on and off for the last 12 years. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, I don't think Emma was the, uh, the most toxic of people. No. No, no, certainly. And, and, um, and that's obviously very much in my favour. So if anyone is is listening and they've never done a detox before and and detox is a oh I mean it's such a you can interpret the word detox in so many different ways um you we could be talking about going on a juice fasting retreat we could be talking about removing chemicals from your home we could be talking about clean cleaning up your diet but you're just eating um pretty much in a fit of food way um so so when when you say detox you're really looking at rather than going on any hardcore detox plan you're really looking at cleaning up your lifestyle so your diet introducing those phytochemicals so plant foods that are incredibly important and supportive for detoxification in general and just making sure also that you're not stressed Yes. <laughs> <laughs> first, but first few bits were easy. Then you have to bring that one in. <laughs> it's one of the most toxic things there are. Yeah, definitely. People think that stress is just something they um, experience mentally. So I'm stressed, therefore yeah. I feel angry, or whatever emotion comes with it. But in actual fact, when you are stressed, you actually release inflammatory mediators. And they they cause inflammatory damage to your body, physical damage to the body. And so, what would be the implications of that for? Sorry, I've just kicked the table uh, for pregnancy. So obviously, that's going to impact the. I don't like calling it a fetus. It sounds very sciency. Does yeah, baby. Baby. <laughs> How would that impact the baby? Well, <laughs> it's interesting because it, it would impact the risk of well, the chances of a woman falling pregnant. So when you when you are incredibly stressed, you require more cortisol, and cortisol is, is one of your stress hormones. And if if the demand is too high for your body to actually make, um, what will happen is you will start to steal progesterone, which is a hormone that you need in order to maintain pregnancy. So it means that your body starts to utilize progesterone for the production of cortisol as opposed to using progesterone to maintain a pregnancy. 
So it means that a lot of miscarriages happen quite early on in early stages of pregnancy. Um, and also, not, not only that, but you're, you'll be using absolute bucket loads of very, very important um, minerals and vitamins that are cofactors to enable a pregnancy to occur. A pregnant pregnancy, although it's very, very, well, I say it's very easy to fall pregnant, and, but in actual fact, sometimes it's not. Um, but, you, you, you know, you spend most of your life, especially as women, thinking, oh, no, I can't get pregnant, I can't get pregnant, what contraception can I use? And, yeah, um, and then And then suddenly, and then, and then you're, you know, you're trying to avoid it most of your life. <laughs> and, and then when you do want to get pregnant, you suddenly start thinking, well, you know, why aren't, in certain people's situations, why aren't I falling pregnant? And with clients that I've seen that have come to me with fertility issues, and I've had quite a few babies now, which are, we were speaking before, Kerry, so you, you have as well, like... Oh, hold on, who with? It's <laughs> <laughs> the first I've heard of this. It's all coming out now, like live on air. <laughs> Got and several I think you'd of times. That's largely due to women following your little fit of food um, uh, diet plans and, and fitness protocols. Um, and then they're putting themselves in a better situation for the body to feel like it's ready to, to grow a baby. You're growing a human being. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. The, the, the first thing I have to do with a lot of female clients is sort of <laughs> have a word um, in a way because they sort of might stop the contraceptive pill or get married and just go, I'm going to get pregnant. But they continue either working all the hours God sends, going to the gym, you know, six, seven times a week, counting calories which is just madness when you know trying to get pregnant and trying to feed back to the body that it's a time of abundance and fertility um, and it's almost like they have to stop the habits that they're collecting over the last 10-15 years and just focus on being selfish being good to themselves getting lots of early nights some people I often say take a break from the exercise and um, the reason I asked about detox was because some of them are still drinking uh, way too much caffeine and, and probably too much alcohol at the weekends and so I'm a bit like you know we need to stop this as well because it's got to stop in pregnancy so you might as well you know halt that now um, and I don't think they all understand the implications of those there's just I mean NHS would never talk to you about those sorts of um, lifestyle nutrition choices would they? They don't no they don't and, and I mentioned the first time that I, I, I met my wife at uh, my hospital and they asked me a million questions and, you know, poor Dan went through it as well, asking him his roots and where he was from and God knows, very, very personal questions about the pair of us. And yet when they said, you know, I, I said to them, you know, when, what, what happens next? When do I get my scan date? And they told me that the date that will be sent to me in the post and that was it. They left, they let me go. And, and I think I was only nine weeks pregnant then. And you start to think, well, they haven't even mentioned things like folic acid, or which yeah. really is, is too late by nine weeks. It's, it's really prior to conception that you need to be thinking about um, it's in B vitamins in particular, folic acid. And, and you know, no mention about diet, no mention of... Um, well, actually, in fairness, they did ask if I smoked. But they didn't ask about my alcohol intake. They didn't ask about no. my caffeine intake. They didn't ask what type of diet I was eating. Nothing like that at all. It's just madness because... It's just, I, and I often see so many pregnant women, um, just because we work in coffee shops quite a bit, and you often see a lot of women coming in uh, and meeting up and, and ordering sort of 
hot chocolates and cake and sort of saying, oh, I'm eating for two now. And, and I look at them and I think, you shouldn't be having all coffees. And I'm like, you shouldn't be having the caffeine. That's just a big pile of sugar that you're loading into your body. And, and you don't even need that many calories yet. You know, half of them, you know, well, I suppose you should probably talk people through calorie intake during pregnancy and what you've been doing. Well, isn't that the big kind of a myth, myth is yeah. that all of a sudden it's the whole I'm eating for two thing, yeah. which, you know... That's- and all of a sudden, people... It's kind of similar in a way to, to guys who want to bulk up <laughs> in that all of a sudden, a guy's like, oh, I'm mass gaining, and then pretty much doubles their caloric intake in the assumption that they're going to pack on more muscle. But you don't actually need to take on that many, cal- that many extra calories, do you? In fact, in my opinion, none at all. I, I think the only, the only stage really where... And, and again, I would only say do it if you feel you need to. So if you feel you're hungry, then yeah. eat more. Um, and that would be in your third trimester of pregnancy and also when you're breastfeeding. And other than that, I am personally, I haven't increased. I mean, I don't count calories anyway, so I wouldn't actually Good. know if you're increasing calories <laughs> or not. But I'm just eating what I normally eat. And I haven't thought, oh, I now have a baby, therefore... I need to have two breakfasts and two lunches and two dinners because because you're not eating two um, and really you're the the more the more food or the more calories especially in terms of the people that you often hear saying oh, I'm eating for two um, they're normally picking out on biscuits yeah. and cakes and. And I don't know what. I was only in the shopping centre the other day and um, there was a pregnant lady in front of me and it was obviously either her mother or her mother-in-law that was next to her and she was eyeing up the fudge. Mm. <laughs> and the, the mother, the, the woman that was standing next to her said to her, "You, if you want it, you have it. You're pregnant and that's your right. <laughs> wow. And I, I'm still behind it. Don't take the fudge. Don't take the fudge. <laughs> Sending subliminal messages. But the, the really sad thing is, like, that I've actually heard in mainstream media this message that that you can turn on and off genes during pregnancy. And um, Chris Presser yes. actually did a podcast on it recently, and I was sort of. Uh, repeating it back to Matt where he was saying that they know this happens to animals and it changes how much hair an animal grows if the mother says it's winter you know you need to have lots of hair then I'm really sort of like brushing over this but that's how powerful the relationship between mother and baby is and so what sort of message are you giving when you're sort of literally you know sort of down in sugar during pregnancy yeah I I am pretty sure that I can I can 100% say that the most important time of our lives um, were when we were in the womb. And you are turning on and off genes. Um, you are setting up um, potential adult onset obesity, diabetes, mm-hmm. cardiovascular risks inside the womb. So it almost, so to me, it's, it, people think, oh, you know, it's fine. They've got childhood and adulthood and whatever else and it's life experience that contributes towards um, disease of, of course it, that's a massive factor but when I often get the chance to inquire about people's um, situations or what the circumstances when they were in the womb which I don't know if you two could answer that question as to, to whether you knew what your mother's experience was when she was carrying you. Um, I know the answer to that um, in terms of my, my mother carrying me, but not many people do. It's, it's actually incredibly interesting 
when you hear, when you can make a connection with someone's adult ill health to a mother having 11 amalgam fillings when she was pregnant, um, yeah, or a mother, I've had a, I've had a client, a mother was fleeing a country whilst she was pregnant. Oh, God. Um, and of course, that, that, that in itself, your stress response is actually built yeah. inside the womb. So it's funny, I was actually talking to one of my clients about anxiety, um, and before I'd actually said any of this, he said, I decided to just go and off, uh, off and sort of have a little bit of delve down into where my anxiety comes from. And he chatted with his mum about pregnancy and she talked about having um, panic attacks and going through quite a stressful period. I think it was some family issues. And he said, I actually, you know, I've, I've always been an anxious child and never thought to question why. Yeah. And, and he said, it definitely, I definitely get this. I just thought I get it from my mum, maybe like it was a habit he picked up. But I said it could genuinely be genetic in that she's passed that stress response on to you. Well, there, there are genes in the body. I can think of one, which is called COMT, which is C-O-M-T. And that gene, if that's down-regulated, then you're more prone to, to um, panic attacks and anxiety if you don't know how to, to control a stressful situation. And that's because you, you break down adrenaline at the quarter of a rate of somebody with what's called a wild type, which is deemed to be a normal gene. So if that gene in you is is a, you're you slowly you're a slower metabolizer, then it would mean that your um, your exposure to adrenaline lasts for much longer. Whenever you talk about this sort of thing, I instantly start to analyze all friends and family and think you're definitely that gene type. No, you're definitely that gene type. <laughs> No, just going a little bit off, off the wall here, which I know we often do. <laughs> yeah. I um I did Dan's Twenty Three and Me. Oh, really? Yeah, and um I I used the um uh, Genius Genie um to analyse to get to pull all of, all of his snips off from the Twenty Three and Me website, and we've Amazing. both got um the same Compt snip. So we've both got um down regulation of Compt in like a double allele, which means that it's coming from the mother. The maternal and the paternal side in both of us so that's one thing i know that our baby is going to have <laughs> wow what, what else did it flag up then any others that you've had to well what, that you can act on well that would also be um uh, associated with its metabolism of estrogen so it's it would be more prone to um a damage from exposure to xenoestrogens so they're the foreign estrogens so it becomes even even more important for, I mean, I've been doing this since since I knew what a xenoestrogen was anyway, but also since I realised that I'm at a higher risk of xenoestrogen exposure. For it to be, and when I say risk, I mean for it to turn uh, pre-cancerous. Uh, pro so that's both you and Dan have that down regulation of... Excuse me, yeah, both of us do. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. And so, because you've actually mentioned before that you have um, a water distiller as well, don't you, which helps remove estrogen from the water? Yeah, and that's the reason why I have it. Because, because so we, we, were, we were talking about detoxification and preconceptual health care. And one of the things that I think a lot of people overlook is the cleanliness of their water. And you cannot, with, if you think about where we actually get our drinking water from, it's um, it's actually from our urine, largely. And, and it's, oh, you know, it's being cleaned with chemicals and it will have um, chlorine and other stuff added to it as well. And it's filtered, but you cannot get rid of the estrogen. And from um, my own research, the only thing that I understand to actually remove the estrogen is water distillation. Do you have to do anything else like reverse osmosis or literally just 
put it through a water distiller yes. and then it's water distillation yeah reverse osmosis um this is now you've you've interviewed joe gamble before on this podcast and it was actually her company that she was actually sending samples of the water after it's been distilled back to the lab to detect any uh, signs of estrogen still left in the water and it had gone it, it was wow. removed reverse osmosis that there that i don't think there are any studies or any evidence that reverse osmosis does actually remove the estrogen it certainly yeah. cleans the water I mean, yeah. and it's a fantastic system to have it's just um, getting so chemicals out then essentially just the exactly. fluoride and my, my priority was to remove the estrogen and the reason why i was mentioning the the urine where we're getting our water from is because because how many women do you know that are on the oral contraceptive pill? I know. I just, yeah, the majority nowadays. I think it's actually more more of a danger to men than anything as well. Well, having been to some lectures on this through um, Nutri Advanced, a lot of the stuff was on how it affects uh, boys during pregnancy, perhaps more so than girls. And there was yeah. lots of links saying about entering puberty from the age of six and things like really frightening stuff, like almost to the point I wanted to leave because I thought <laughs> this is really scary stuff. And it's having such a massive impact and so little is being done about it. Yeah. I mean, and, and just to, to really put it as practice or reality, a water distiller, my water distiller cost me... I think it was about £250, and it produces uh, four litres of distilled water, uh, and that's over a period of three hours. Water, you actually replace the filter, I think it's every two months, and a box of six filters costs £30. That's £30 if you're replacing it every two months a year, then, in terms of actually having clean water. It's such a worthwhile investment. And, and so what is it? Does it... You connect it to your... No, no, it's more. It's one that goes on the side, isn't it, Emma? It'll look, it'll look like a filter that we've got. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. yeah. Is it as, as much of an eyesore? Is yeah, that that's all Matt's thinking about. How is this going to look in my kitchen? Because <laughs> our one is just ginormous and it looks horrible. I know it does. Yeah, it's not as big as yours. There you go. That's going on the shopping list, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Um, just actually thinking, last week we got asked a question about dim... Um, and I was sort of saying how I think it's something that a lot of people, you know, probably should be taking. And they're now some companies are offering subscriptions to DIM. Is that something that you take or have taken in the past? You know, funnily enough, I haven't. But then I've, I've never been in a state of estrogen dominance. So that's probably why. If, if I were, do you mean using DIM as preventative? Yeah, just generally because of things like xenoestrogens in the environment. And again, so women that, the, the person who actually contacted us was suffering from PMT, PMS. And I said I would probably, yeah. I think it'd be worthwhile tri- yeah. trialing it and, and for a couple yeah. of months. And I said, I think most, I tend to see more estrogen dominance than anything else. But then I think some of that is down to progesterone deficiency through stress, which you've just mentioned. So Yeah, do you know, well, the, well that's funny that, that you see a lot of estrogen dominance and, and that makes sense in terms of what area you guys specialise in. I, I wouldn't, I don't normally recommend it for preventative reasons, but as you say, if I have someone with PMT or something like fibroids or PCOS, then absolutely using DIM is, is a fantastic way to help bind to the estrogen to get it out of the body. Um, yeah, personally, I don't use it, no. I'd rather focus on removing xenoestrogens as much as possible from my environment. Yeah. And to, for that to be clear, that just means not or having... I mean, it's very hard to say none of your food should ever touch plastic because... So, you know, sorry to interrupt you, Emma. Um, so <laughs> how, how would you 
do that you know so for people that maybe haven't listened to the previous podcast you're talking about removing uh like the estrogens from like your environment or diet or whatever you know so what 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 tips would you give to people for that well, the water and the water, so the water distillation but not only the water distillation even if you can't afford to buy a distiller or it's not just it was just not floating your boats and you're not interested in it um stop drinking out plastic water bottles it's amazing how many people drink out plastic water bottles and and it's it, the the xenoestrogens will actually leach into the water and you are drinking but what, what what about what what would be the, the better option to so say they can't afford the, a filter or you know like you say something they don't particularly want to do what would be better drinking the tap water or drinking water out of a plastic bottle Oh, God, everyone argues about that. Yeah, I would say drinking tap water, but drinking it in a stainless steel bottle or a glass bottle. So you drink that over bottled water? That's interesting. Yeah, because Um. the BPAs, they they mimic your hormones. So BPA stands for bisphenol A, and they're found in plastics, especially those drinking water bottles, and they mimic your hormetic mimicking. So they will mimic your hormones, i.e. they act as xenoestrogens which are potent sources of estrogen. And if you're like me and you have the inability to detoxify or um, move estrogen, because there are different types of estrogen in the body, and you have more potent growth-growing ones, and you have less potent, more protective ones, and ideally you want your body to convert all types of estrogen, whether um, internally produced or externally you're exposed to, to the safe types of estrogen and if you're like me and you have a genetic code that doesn't allow you to do that effectively then you even you need to be even more cautious about that and also i suppose um personal care products you've you've probably sifted through all those and removed parabens as well is that right yeah it's, it's so important so so this is all really relative to preconceptual care so this is getting rid of air freshness um, I, you know, I have um, a really lovely client of mine who we did, um, she's having the most amazing heightened chemical reactivity to just where she works. And we did um, a test on her very recently um, to see what this test does is that it sees whether chemicals like BPAs and phthalates, etc. There's about a list of about 30 of them. Um, Not just if you have levels of them in your body, but this test actually tells you if the chemicals have attached to your own tissue. And if you have chemicals that have attached to your own tissue, you have antibodies fighting your own tissue because it's trying to fight the chemicals. Wow, so it's triggering autoimmunity. Exactly, yeah. So she, she came up with probably about 10 of those out of about 30. And when we, we really tried to figure out her exposure, she works in an office, um, you know, the nine to five hours. And every, you know, the office is, is air conditioned. Um, you've got cleaning cleaners every morning and every night coming in um, using the, their cleaning chemicals. And then every time you go into a toilet, and this really drives me mad, every time you go into a toilet, especially a, a public toilet, they've got those really annoying sprays right. on their yeah. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you open the door, it goes, and I hear it, and as soon as I hear it, I hold my breath. <laughs> so you're quick in the loo then <laughs> you don't want to find you passed out in the toilet <laughs> yeah. 
has that on the toilet. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because it's something that you, I never thought about before, but, yeah, like, uh, the office I used to work in had one of them because I always thought someone had come into the toilet or something and you'd hear it sort of... And I thought, oh, <laughs> someone, someone, like, trying to hint at me or something. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it's really bad. And it really is out of our control in, in our external environments, outside of our home environments. We are really restricted as to what we can actually be in control of. So the things that we can be in control of, we need to be on top of that. So that would be our food. And, you know, remembering that um, xenoestrogens are going to be in um, conventionally raised animal produce. And so this is why it means it's, it makes it more important for us to focus on grass-fed, organic animal produce, um, which I don't need to tell you listeners at all. Um, and then obviously organic vegetables and, and also grains as well. Lots of people, um, and I know really your listeners probably aren't eating too many grains either, but they're like norm, normal oh, normal people. I suppose we are normal. <laughs> people who aren't really into health and they are perhaps, you know, they're into an almost slight organic way of living. They will buy their vegetables organic, but they won't buy their grains, things like bread and cereals and pastas organic. And that's really, really fascinates me because it's actually the grains that are one of the most heavily sprayed crops. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yet, you know, they're having it probably at every meal and being um, exposed to so many toxicants. Now we're in the countryside, you can actually see all the farmers just spraying every single day, can't you? Yeah. It really sort of upsets me, I just think, oh. And it is, as you said, it's all the sort of plant-based crops that tend to just be, um, you know, sort of receive the most attention. And what's yeah. nice about being here is, um, we were, like, walking the dog and stuff through the fields, you see the, the cows... It was, it was here. here. Sorry, we're, we're in Stratford-on-Avon, I'll just make that clear, in the countryside. Um, is that you see all the cows, you know, sort of roaming the fields nice and free, eating the grass, but... We've seen the farmer goes in more or less every single day and basically chucks a load of grain in a bucket and they run to that bucket and eat it. And I just think <laughs> it's just even the way the cows behave, you know, like fighting over what's in this bucket. It just says to me that it's obviously similar to how we behave around sugar and carbohydrates. It's a similar effect. What would be quite cool, actually, because I believe the guys from Paleo Nutrition Wow is going to be coming on the podcast at some point. And uh, these guys really know their stuff when it comes to, you know, meat and poultry is raised, etc. Um, you know, fed and whatnot. So I'm really looking forward to that podcast to kind of get a bit more. Because obviously, there's a lot that we don't understand when it comes to meat in terms of laws, yeah. and, you know, and keeping the produce going all year round, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with the different weather conditions. So that'd be an awesome podcast. Well, they, they were saying about um, you can actually have meat can be labelled grass fed if it's only partially grass fed. So it really yeah. means nothing. And so. We thought we'd get them on and get them to really clarify what people need to ask for. But Emma, back to you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were talking about uh, water distillation, making sure that we were talking about preconceptual health. Um, so you want to clean up your diet. You want to be exercising, making sure that you're eating um, a, a clean diet. So, and, and that in, includes clean animal produce. So did you um, describe, describe clean? She means clean as in organic. Yeah, organic, um, eating a variety of different... If you're, if you're eating meat, eating a variety of different meats, um, different cuts of meats, using offal, having bone broths, you know, all of awesome. the nutrient-dense foods. Um, and this goes for the, the, the dad as well, right? 
you know, let's not, we're not just talking about the woman here. He needs to be in good health too. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Because his sperm needs to be healthy in order for it to actually function once, once it's been released into the woman. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I was going to ask... How does that happen? <laughs> <laughs> One thing I wanted to ask Emma was, um, I've, I've observed in quite a few cases, this is friends, family and clients, where the mum has done everything you've just said and eating really healthy through pregnancy and uh, really research supplements. Because I think when it's your body, maybe you feel, and obviously it's your baby, you feel very precious about what you're about to do. And so they put the work in. But the dads don't because the dads are like, I know my bit, my role in this is, you know, quite quick and easy. I shouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) And and then the child has loads and loads and loads of allergies and problems when tests have been done or maybe tests aren't even done but when I've asked a few questions it's the dad that suddenly goes yeah I've got hay fever I've got asthma I've got this I've got that and then he's continued to eat wheat and dairy but then um the child is is so highly allergenic that maybe it can't even take on breast milk and it really saddens me that this is happening and I, and I keep saying to the to the to the women you know you need to sort of get the other half in check but also ask those questions initially because you might need to do more with sort of immune support throughout pregnancy and um, is that would you say that's sort of crossing through dad and then that's again the allergies are coming through genetically definitely but but I also think that there are a lot of unexplained immune problems currently now if you think back to and I would even say going back as far as five years as a nutritional therapist pretty much you could say to someone cut back on wheat and stop dairy for a few weeks um, and you know they would have the most amazing turnaround in health and be able to start eating wheat again and nowadays you say to people remove gluten and if needed in certain individuals remove dairy and you still haven't resolved their problems and the immune what we are exposed to nowadays it is invisible, it's out of our control, we don't know enough about it, um, and and I really think that it's it's having a, an enormous impact on the function of our immune system. So I think there's probably, potentially, there's a link there with the paternal side not being at its best in terms of delivering the best type of sperm to be conceived. Um, and also there is a big connection between what we're exposed to, even if the mum really did clean out her diet and she really wasn't stressed throughout pregnancy, um, even then, we, we still... I mean, I don't know even what I'm being exposed to. I, I believe that I'm in control in terms of what I can be in control of, but even then, there are things that are out of my control. So I think I think there's a lot of factors that contribute towards that. Sorry, we both me and Matt looked at each other yeah. and they're like, <laughs> we're fighting for questions. <laughs> Who's going to ask the next question? Well, I wanted to ask about um, supplements that you did pre and during pregnancy because there's obviously, and actually um, you mentioned sort of pregnancy myths and I think a lot of women are really scared to supplement during pregnancy. Um, and I know I personally have emailed you quite a lot of times and asked, do you think this would be all right for someone who's pregnant? Because as a practitioner, you're really nervous because there's hardly any studies obviously done on pregnant women. Well, I, I don't think there are any studies no. really for women. And obviously that's... that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah, and I think in case listeners are thinking why, it's li- literally because it's, it's, um, it's inhumane to test on pregnant women. Of course you wouldn't. There wouldn't be any tests on pregnant women um, because you don't know if you're potentially damaging a, a baby. Yeah. 
Um, so, so it's it's very um, it's the things that I would say are are absolutely safe throughout throughout any person's pregnancy, any any woman's pregnancy would be a fish oil, um, particularly DHA. So your omega threes break down into what's called EPA and DHA, and it's actually DHA that's more important in terms of developing a healthy fetus. So um, lots lots of people talk about um, this is this is preconceptually and when you're pregnant. So lots of women when they're pregnant talk about pregnancy brain and then also breastfeeding brain. Um, <laughs> and, and that probably the breastfeeding brain is largely down to lack of sleep. But also the, when you're pregnant, there really shouldn't be a reason why you have pregnancy brain. Um, and, and largely it's because a lot of the DHA is shunted to the baby. So the woman, the mother, experiences a lot of memory because of that. Um, oh. So it's, it's important to have high levels of DHA. And a lot of... Um, like standard fish oil supplements will naturally be higher in EPA and DHA. So when we're cons- when we're concerned with pregnancy, we want to look for uh, a fish oil supplement that is either pure DHA or higher in DHA to EPA, which I suppose would be about a ratio of five to one. Have you got any brands that you use or recommend? Yeah, I love Minami Nutrition. Um, they're very pure. Um, they're the highest dosage per capsule of DHA. So the the one that I use is Minami Nutrition DHA Prenatal. Min- Minami. Minami. We've actually got it in our kitchen cupboard, so Matt should know that. Have we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I'm still on the Eskimo. Got yeah. Eskimo. Yeah, I get the Minami because it's more expensive. You get the you Eskimo. Just, just... <laughs> I'm curious by so many damn supplements that he's been contracted. <laughs> Um, so, so it's it's important to now we're looking at about two to three grams a day. Now, Keris, you and I went to a lecture probably at the beginning of this year uh, by Tom Fox, and that was about fetal um, to adult brain development. And I think you and I were both a bit blown away with the the benefits that DHA has on brain function and memory and um, just in terms of cellular structure and the fact that all of your organs fight for the DHA and and, and really I'm grateful that I've been taking DHA prior to falling pregnant and throughout pregnancy because I haven't experienced uh, pregnancy brain at all. We actually did say at the time didn't we um, that you I think you you knew you you knew you were pregnant then didn't you? Yeah, but we yeah. couldn't believe like how brilliant that seminar was for someone who was just pregnant because just obviously it yeah it just it just all the information you really needed to hear and to know and obviously you were doing so much of it it was a great reassurance for you whereas I was furiously scribbling down notes and <laughs> went away and ordered Minami DHA straight away. Absolutely. <laughs> but it's so about it's five or six. Is it five capsules? You said. Yeah, five capsules. Yeah. yeah. So it's four hundred and fifty uh, milligrams per capsule. Um, so I'm hitting two and a half grams a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, which, uh, do you know? Interestingly, I um, was very, very mildly short-sighted, um, and that probably only happened about a year ago um, when I started squinting to read uh, train time tables and um, that were up on a board at a station. I thought, that's not right. And since being pregnant, my eyesight has got better. <laughs> like 2020 vision. <laughs> and I think it's the DHA. That's amazing. <laughs> 
Um, so I don't, I don't, I mean, I only ever very rarely use my glasses if I went to the cinema or if I knew that it was late at night and I needed to read, um, I was driving or I needed to read um, a time like where, where the train times come up. And now I, I'm not even using my glasses for that. So That's but, awesome. Yeah, it's very awesome. Yeah. So I am continuing this high dose of DHA. Huh? <laughs> um, the other thing that I would say would be uh, really safe um, throughout pregnancy would be probiotics. Pre- uh, prior, this is everything that I say is prior to conception and throughout pregnancy. I mean, I don't think we're going to go on about probiotics and gut microbiome and microflora um, when we do our Fitter Food Launch Academy, and um, that um, the three of us and also Anna Marsh are talking at. Yeah, um, yeah. And we'll go into great detail about gut, your gut flora and bacteria and how it, it is absolutely crucial to your health in, in all aspects. If your microflora, your gut flora is your mother's, so if you are a C-section baby, then you are in a little bit of trouble in terms of your microbiome, um, unless your mum knew how to deal with it by then um, giving you probiotics, largely bifidobacterium, um, when you were first born via C-section. Otherwise, if you were of really our generation, and, and even now actually, C-section deliveries, they're not advised to um, bifidobacterium in particular to their babies just because they, they you know, the babies are healthy. So they're, they're not they're, they're not looking in terms of the future. But obviously, your future your, your your future health relies on your gut health. Do you know it's funny when you say that about the bifidobacterium? Whenever a friend of mine has had a C-section, I go straight online and order them bifidobacterium, and it arrives in the post. And I think half the time they're like, "What have you just sent me, and why?" And I'm like, "Just just put it in the breast milk. It's fine. Just." <laughs> It's, yeah, a, it's a gift to you. <laughs> that's a brilliant gift. I don't know if um, they actually do it. I'm sure most of them are so strung out, they're like, oh, I haven't got time for this. But <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so, I mean, obviously your, your delivery. So in your third trimester of being pregnant, your vaginal flora changes um, and you, you have um, an increase in a bacteria that begins with P. And I, I can't remember. I said I, I didn't have pregnancy brain. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and there's uh, other two types of bacteria that increase um, massively prior to you giving birth. And that's for a reason. And that's because as the baby is passing through the vaginal canal, it's actually taking a mouthful of mucus. And that mucus is starting the very first parts of its immune system. We used to think years ago that um, the baby's immune system was sterile. So there were no... Um, signs of bacteria in whilst the baby was inside you and it was only on delivery and then coming into the world and being exposed to breast milk and other bacteria in your own flora flourishing um that we that we developed our, our gut microflora but actually there's now research to indicate that in the third trimester depending on the mother's flora the baby's flora does start to develop very mildly but it still needs that vaginal delivery um, in order for, for a good gut microbiome to, to start. So the whole point of telling you this is that your gut flora isn't the best that it could be. And even if you think it is, you should still be taking a probiotic. Just to be clear, in order for us to, to feed our bacteria, we need to be eating fermented foods every day. We need to be um, uh, using things like resistant starch as well, um, which our, our lactobacillus absolutely love. Um, and, 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 and we need to be, if we're not doing those things on a daily basis, 
then we need to be consuming probiotics every day. And there is absolutely no harm that uh, a probiotic could do to you or your baby throughout pregnancy. And you mentioned um, something that clients frequently mention to you or, or you know of people that suffered with um, UTIs are much more frequent, often more frequent yeah. in pregnancy. Is that due to, as you mentioned, immune suppression? So it's just a, an opportunistic bacteria that can flourish? I think it's two things. I think it's that and also your progesterone softens literally everything in the body. And the, the, what the progesterone does, if you think about your urinary system, it will start to make everything a little bit looser. So you're effectively allowing more bacteria to be um, uh, naughty, basically. And so there's, there's a higher risk of urinary tract infections throughout pregnancy, which is why they're often... I mean, every time I go to see the midwife, she wants she wants me to stick a, um, a, <laughs> a, a pH strip in my in my urine. And I will tell you something very funny. Um, my was well, not funny. Funny is in annoying funny. Um, my one of my very close friends. She was pregnant uh, last year, and she. Uh, I think she. I think that was at twenty one weeks pregnant. She gave a urine sample, and when she went back to visit the midwife, and at thirty five weeks pregnant, and they told her, "Oh, you had a urine infection then, so we need to put you on antibiotics now." <gasps> and, and, it, and she texted me and she said, Em, they want me to go on antibiotics, what should I do? And I said, well, do you have a urine infection? And then I said, have they retested your urine? Do you feel like you have an infection? And, and she said, no. And I said, well, just down a load of probiotics and shove some probiotics up vaginally as well. And, um, and I, <laughs> I think she ended up taking the antibiotics. But I said to her, please, please, please take probiotics. And this, you know, she was entering uh, close to her third trimester, which is one of the most crucial times for your for your flora to be at its best in terms of preparation for delivery. And what's interesting is that a similar thing happened to me. So at 12 weeks, I did um, a urine sample. And when I went back for, um, uh, they, they, they go to hear the fetal heartbeat. And when I went back to there, they said, oh, did you get your results? And I was gone from 12 weeks to 21 weeks and hadn't heard any. And I, I'm not really interested in chasing anything up anyway, to be honest. But they, they said, did you get your results? And I said, no, no, I didn't. She said, oh, it's probably nothing to worry about if you didn't hear anything. And I said, that's good news. And then I, I got a phone call the next day saying, oh, we've actually looked at your results and you do have bacteria in your urine, so therefore we would recommend you going on antibiotics. And I put the phone down I thought, like hell, am I going on antibiotics? <laughs> and, and what was interesting is, is that on that day, on the 21st uh, week, the, the day that I actually went back, I had already done a urine sample, which they put the pH strip in, which would come back as negative for any infection. So they were just merely going on something that had happened a few weeks before. And when I actually looked at the results, there were um, just very slightly raised levels of E. coli. And, of course, that, that's inevitable in anyone, really. And we don't know whether that's down to the test tubes that the hospital are using. Gosh, yeah. um, you know, there's, there are so many factors that, that could be. Yeah, that could have meant that I would have had raised E. coli levels. And so, of course, I know that I don't have a urinary tract infection. A woman knows if she does or doesn't. Yeah. Um, and and even if I did, one thing that I wouldn't be doing is taking antibiotics. I would be applying um, either uh, a probiotic capsule mixed in coconut butter or in yogurt, and I would be applying that, inserting that vaginally every night for about 10 nights. 
and I would be using coconut butter as well in the morning and then I'd be downing loads of probiotics and probably um, Saccharomyces boulardii as well just to, to clear um, any infection if there were any. It's funny because that, I think most people listening to that might be thinking, what? And you've said that, but I've heard that recommended in so many, by so many practitioners and Dr. Carol McBride of the GAPS diet said that actually she was raised um, applying kefir, basically, you know, as soon as you got out of the shower, you put kefir um, <laughs> down there to just keep that flora really really healthy and and I I just wondered whether it's something that you should do preconception as in when you're trying for a baby with the man as well with the the guy because I just think men shouldn't have to get away with anything so they should be doing it as well you can put yogurt on your bits Yeah, why not? Let's make them suffer too. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I've seen as well is um, massive um, research being done onto the impact of antibiotics on children. Obviously, you know, kids get an ear infection or, you know, for, for all sorts of reasons, we're given antibiotics as kids. But I'm sure there's probably no research being done as to what the effects would be if the mother's administering antibiotics, mm-hmm. given that we now know that the flora is just starting to develop in the third trimester. So it's, there's just going to be massive implications there. Oh, I mean, implications that literally we couldn't talk about because they they are systemic and they could occur at any age. Um, so so it, it's literally if that gut microbiome isn't set and is healthy and flourishing when we're babies, and it just continues. I mean, remember we're we're strong human beings and we will we are built to adapt. So we will adapt, but we might have continual uh, ear infections and then as children be receiving continual antibiotics and I see people like this um, every day almost and I I ask them they might be in their 50s they might be in their 80s they actually less so if they're in their 80s but if they're in their 40s or 50s or 30s and 20s then in our current generation then they, they would have probably have um, either not been breastfed or had um, a C-section birth. Um, perhaps then they went on to, to need um, uh, immune, well, they had immune infections, so they had tonsillitis or they had sinus problems, and that would largely be down to a food intolerance. And they would be given antibiotics ongoingly. Um, and then, you know, they, if they were women, they would develop um, uh, hormonal issues and men as well, in terms of either period problems or in, in men and women acne. Um, and then they might be given Veracutane. And it's just a story that I see in people time and time again. And we really honestly don't, well, we, we're learning now, but we don't truly appreciate or understand the diversity and the role that our gut flora has on our health. Um, and that's one thing that, again, I, I, I mentioned a few things a few times today that, there are lots of things that are out of our control, but one thing we can be in control of is making sure we have plenty of bacteria. So it's interesting you say that because one of the things with all the resistant starch um, information coming through, we've started eating the cold potatoes and, and just sort of experimenting with all the new information. But I'm also seeing so much more emphasis on prebiotic foods, um, obviously alongside probiotics, but almost 
Um, the advice I've heard is don't just go for taking probiotics. You need those prebiotics in there. And we, with it being autumn, we've started having loads of leeks. Um, we're starting to just put like quite a lot of onion on our salads. We've always used loads of garlic anyway. But I actually do feel a real benefit to eating those foods. And like I won't go into details, but I'd always avoided them because they can be a bit FODMAPy, can't they? And some people are like a bit gassy with them. And yeah. um, Matt's always gassy, so it's no different there. Oh, but. Oh, oh. <laughs> but I would say I felt a massive benefit increasing those foods and I really put it down to I've always been taking probiotics but don't think I gave them enough food yeah yeah definitely um, well it's interesting because you could be taking a probiotic without doing uh, testing on people you can give someone a whole host of not just probiotics but also vitamins and minerals and they're just not absorbing them yeah. or you know and and it and, you know, they're, they're literally wasting their money. Um, and this is where testing really becomes valuable because if you can see what additional bacteria there or how your beneficial flora are, are behaving, then you can give the correct protocol and you can also figure out potentially why, if you're ongoingly taking a probiotic, why it's not residing in your gut, why it's not encouraging the growth of your normal flora. Um and, and, you know, lots of people just say, oh, it's fine, you know, I've ticked that box, I take a probiotic every day, but what other things are you doing? And like you just mentioned, Keris, making sure that you're actually encouraging the flourishing growth of the good bacteria with fermented food and prebiotics being those those leeks and onions and garlics, etc. Yeah, we do some new recipes at the moment, so they're pretty much in every single recipe, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you was to, if you had to recommend five foods for, for for women to eat during pregnancy what what would they be um don't have to be five could be four could be six but go for five um liver would be one and that's really controversial because you're you're normally advised not to eat liver when <laughs> you're pregnant um but why? why is that um it's it's largely anything that the nhs recommends is not on a nutritional status it's not coming from the, the benefits of nutrition. It's coming from the protection of their own health and safety advice. <laughs> so, so largely the um, uh, warnings of consuming liver throughout pregnancy is to do with its high vitamin A content. Yeah. And, um, but what happens... Just for a second, Emma, if you repeat that back, a food that we've been eating for thousands and thousands of years that helped us evolve <laughs> is suddenly whipped off the list. Exactly. <laughs> So, so, so we're, we're very much scaremongered into no pâtés, no um, liver, no raw eggs. Um, and, and going back to, to the liver, it's the vitamin A content. Um, the studies that were carried out on the damaging effects of vitamin A on um, a fetus were to do with supplemented vitamin A, right. so pure retinol, not the liver that that's found in a food. So they've just come to the conclusion that anything then, based on that one study, means that um, anything that's high in vitamin A, which obviously liver is one of the highest, shouldn't be consumed. And let's just make this clear that vitamin A is absolutely crucial alongside vitamin D in controlling your epithelial junction in your intestinal lining. So if you then don't consume any vitamin A, and of course, when you're advised to take your multivitamin throughout pregnancy, it will be a multivitamin that doesn't have retinol, 
it will have beta carotene in it. So the multivitamin, if it's for pregnancy, will not have any active form of vitamin A. So you're more likely to be at a deficiency of vitamin A, if anything, because we're not eating those foods that naturally are high in vitamin A. So, so liver is, is probably one of the most nutrient-dense foods you could be eating. Um, what so about, liver would be my, on, my, on my top list. So what, what about other um, organ meats? Yeah, other organ meats are, are fantastic. Um, uh, and like, like, for example, in fact, any organ meat that you can eat would be fantastic. Um, just because they are purely nutrient dense, um, your dad you should write a cookbook. Really, he cares <laughs> <laughs> in terms of how to incorporate more of them into into our diets. In in all honesty, I can I wouldn't have been able. To, I don't think I probably would have tried it if it was sliced up, but I don't think I would have been able to have eaten tongue. <laughs> And, and certainly I, I would struggle at the idea of cooking heart or brain. But um, Holly, who's, who's Holly Redmond, who's trying to open uh, Pure Taste that paleo restaurant in London at the moment, she was only telling me the other day that she made a heart, a beef heart stew. And mm. I and initially I was like, ooh, but, but actually I would eat it if someone else had cooked it. We 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 had hot stews. Yes. Amazing. My mum does it. Um, but what she does is she does it with sweet potatoes and apricots. So she does it um, a lamb's heart stew. It's, it, it's in our uh, Christmas ebook. Yeah. Although the uh, the ingredients are wrong, we made a mistake, and we. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what well, I mean. I I've never cooked it. I've, I've eaten obviously when she cooks it, and it's amazing. But when she tells me how to cook it, and she said, "Oh, and then you have to get the hearts out and just pull the tuby bits out." I'm always a bit like, "That's when I go a bit squeamish and think." I I go squeamish. I mean. Remember, I've only been eating meat since January. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I keep forgetting that. You've got yeah. to dissect a heart now. <laughs> yeah. Right, so... so, so if, if you can eat other offal, then do. Yeah. That would that would be my key bit of advice there. The other thing would be bone broths, definitely, because you are getting a good amount of collagen um, and glycine and, and really, really important bone-forming nutrients that, again, are incredibly gut-healing. Um, you're reducing any inflammation. Um, you're supporting connective tissue, which obviously you're growing a baby. Um, yeah. And so the, the collagen in the bone broths would actually help with stretch marks. Oh, really? Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it's one, collagen is one of the largest structural proteins in the body. So so as, as long as, um, as well as it being uh, helpful in healing the gut lining, because normally collagen I would, is one of my tools that I would use if somebody has uh, intestinal permeability or leaky gut. Uh, and, and so as well as it being really effective for that, it's also incredibly good at keeping your skin supple and glowing. Um, it's so, so funny because I reckon when you first said bone broth, a lot of people would have been like, oh, no. And as soon as you mentioned preventing stretch marks... Yeah, it's been <laughs> Do you know, I, I think I've told you this before, but I, I always mention when I'm doing webinars that it's actually been, this isn't a scientific study, but apparently it can reduce the appearance of cellulite. And then I don't even need to say that more than once, and every, every woman is like, oh, yes, the slow cook is on. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> right, so we've got, we got, we got liver and offal, bone broth. We need yeah. three more from you. No, two um, more. I, I would say eggs. Eggs are really important, and and please don't be put off by avoiding raw eggs. Um, eggs, personally to me, I think are a superfood, and they're incredibly versatile. You can shove a raw egg yolk in a smoothie. You can, um, ah, you know what I have been having for breakfast is your fitter food porridge recently since the weather's got a little bit colder. 
Oh, yay, yeah, the banana one. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> delicious. Um, and that, you crack a Rora Gokey into that one. Yeah, your acidity is it's heated through, but um, I definitely would not be avoiding raw eggs. Now, obviously, the only, the reason why um, the, the conventional advice is for that is because of salmonella. Um, but if you were really concerned, then, I mean, obviously, the eggs that you're buying are organic and free range. Yeah. So they're um, decent. And um, if you were really concerned, if you just drop the egg into a large bowl of water uh, in its shell, and if there are any bubbles coming off of the egg, then you know that there potentially could have been some contamination from the shell into the egg inside. But um, I don't even do that. Mm. I, I'll just no. use those raw egg in things. Um, but it's full of choline, um, high in, in protein and B vitamins. So choline is going to be converted into phosphatidylcholine, which is important for your nervous system. And again, you want to be developing a healthy nervous system for your baby. So it makes sense. And if you were really, really concerned, you're thinking, oh, God, Emma's advice is really going against what the government health advice is throughout pregnancy, then perhaps don't do those things in the first trimester. Um, those, those, When you reach that 12-week mark, um, I mean, even for me, it's almost like, yay, because <laughs> if you're, you're, you know, the, the bit, up until 12 weeks, you're in control of the hormones. And then as soon as that 12-week mark um, happens, um, the baby takes over. So that's why it's, it's the, the first trimester is at the highest risk of, of any miscarriages or anything going wrong. And so, so if you were really, really concerned or a bit anxious about it, the last thing that I'd want anyone to be throughout pregnancy is anxious. So um, just leave it until the second and the third trimester. But I mean, I, I totally second everything you're saying based on the research I've done is these foods are just so nourishing and are just going to help build you, build the baby. And actually, egg yolks, if I'm, if I'm right, are actually better raw, aren't they, than cooked yeah. in terms yeah. of benefit, benefits of consumption? Yeah, yeah. I will tell you something very funny. Um, so you're not allowed to eat, supposedly, you're not allowed to eat shellfish. And I was at a wedding a couple of months ago, and um, there was another lady who I didn't know who was pregnant opposite me. She was more heavily, far gone than I was. And um, across the table, she said, congratulations. And I said, thank you, you too. And that was basically all we'd said to each other. And the waiter came out, and he put down in front of us, um, like, uh, I think it was crab, it was crab meat with lettuce, basically. And he put it down in front of us, and I, and I was like, oh, great. And as the waiter put it down in front of her, she said, oh, no, I'm sorry, I can't eat that, I'm pregnant. And she pointed to me, she went, neither can she. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I said, and I said, no, 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 it's fine, that, that's all right, I'm, I'm okay, I'm happy with this. And then she then turned around and said, but can I have a Diet Coke, please? Oh, no. Now, absolutely... <laughs> kills me because I think so you're saying no to shellfish but you're saying because of governmental advice but the government doesn't tell you that if you eat if you drink diet coke when you're pregnant even when you're not pregnant you're setting yourself up for insulin resistance diabetes um, a whole array of especially if it's diet then neurological problems and I just thought wow that is amazing that she has has in her mind she thinks that she's doing the right thing by drinking diet coke and not even contemplating that there could be a problem with that but refusing um crab crab meat it's so fun <laughs> i just thought i really to this day i'm just thinking god that poor woman <laughs> <laughs> 
one of the friends I had that recently went um, as well to a, a midwife asked about alcohol and she was advised she could have a glass of wine a day, which I thought that was pretty radical, really, because, you know, I obviously I always advise abstinence, really. I just don't think, you know, there's any need for it. And if women, you know, want my genuine opinion, I'd say just I would probably avoid it. Yeah, um, yeah, but that's, that's preconceptually and pregnant. Yeah, um, but a glass a day, I think that's quite a lot. That's more than I would ever drink. Yeah, yeah, it is a lot. And and I, I think that, you know, there are higher risks of, of miscarriage with higher caffeine intake and higher alcohol... Sorry, that's my postman. <laughs> higher <laughs> caffeine intake and higher um, alcohol intake. So especially you need to be careful. I mean, I will tell you that when my mum was pregnant with me, she was absolutely addicted to my granddad's homemade barley wine. Now, in <laughs> fairness, at least it was fermented, homemade. Yeah. But he, she, he couldn't make it fast enough for her to drink it. Um, and, you know, she was taking it home when it wasn't even fully ready and downing it. <laughs> Um, and that's probably why I'm small. But <laughs> <laughs> well, my mum told me that she was told to drink um, Guinness when breastfeeding to keep her iron levels up. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> So, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, no, I haven't been drinking alcohol. Um, the only thing that I might have done is, um, we've been, we've, this, this year has been the wedding, the, the year of weddings and babies. So we've been to a lot of weddings this year. And, if, I mean, I'm not, I don't really drink alcohol too much anyway, to be honest. My tipple, if, if I ever did have one, would be rum and ginger beer. I absolutely love rum and ginger together. <laughs> if Dad's had one, then I've had, like, a sip of his and then that's that's it is that um, not a new idea for a flavor of one of your chocolates yeah i thought that it's, it's done Matt. it's been gone because really? <laughs> i know you've done rum we had ginger we did rum and raisin and we've had the ginger yeah not not, a not together yeah maybe i haven't actually yeah that's a good idea rum See? And ginger together. you can well, name, you can name that one after me <laughs> <laughs> that's multi rum and ginger <laughs> <laughs> So Emma, give us two more foods. We've got eggs, liver, bone broth, vegetables. That's easy. One more. I'd say if you can, fermented foods. Nice. The, obviously, water being, I mean, it's not a food, a but you must be staying hydrated. Yeah. It's absolutely crucial. If you're not hydrated, you're going to be at a higher risk for fluid retention and water retention, which causes a whole other load of problems throughout pregnancy. So, so, I mean, one thing uh, we, which we haven't spoken about too much and I'm aware that time is going on and people will be bored by now. Never. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> one thing that throughout my pregnancy, I have been um, incredibly lucky, fortunate, um, probably maybe know my body well enough for, for me to have a very normal pregnancy in the sense that I didn't have any nausea, any vomiting, I haven't had any massive bodily changes except, obviously, the growth of belly and boobs. <laughs> Dan's not As... complaining. No, no, <laughs> not complaining. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and I, I honestly feel incredibly healthy and incredibly normal. Probably maybe very early stages of pregnancy, about eight or nine to ten weeks, I felt very tired. All of a sudden it would be eight o'clock and I would need to go to bed. Um, but that's very normal. Uh, you're going, your body's going through massive changes, so it's you're, it's inevitable that you'll feel tired. But with the nausea and the vomiting and um, that that morning sickness that quite a lot of women have, um, I mean, I didn't even have even the faintest hint of that 
That's um, amazing. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And I could say it's because my, cause my, my theory is that if your blood sugar levels are balanced, you won't experience it. Um, and if you have low levels of toxicants, you won't experience it as well. So we mentioned detoxification, and I said to you, I've probably been detoxing for the last 12 years. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and I think that that's had a, a, a large impact. Um, on the other hand, I could just say that I'm lucky. My, no, my, I think my it's down to a lot of your your amazing efforts and, and just being generally healthy. But I think your your outlook, your mindset also just makes a big difference. Yeah, you are a super chilled, positive, positive person. person. That's, yeah, maybe that's, that has, a, has an input as well. Actually. I'm wondering if Keris should just come and stay with you for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Uh, chill her out a little bit life is easy in my world <laughs> <laughs> I'll just follow you around and go I'm just going to do what she's doing <laughs> um, I, I think I think stress probably plays a big part in that as well actually because um, I mean I'm it being I mean I would say I was about to say you're in the same situation being self-employed you're in control of when you work and how you work I mean obviously with you guys that can be epic sometimes <laughs> <laughs> 99% of the time in all honesty um, and so it's, it almost feels like it becomes out of your control but certainly um, when your priorities shift to growing a baby they really do shift so I have certainly said no to a hell of a lot of things and I have wound down my clientele massively already in fact I'm not taking on any clients now and I um, I prepared my workload so that November and December, I won't be working, and my due date is the 8th of January, so that means that November and December, I'm going to have a good couple of months to, you know, sorting my home out and um, just nesting, really, and looking after myself, because oh. when that baby comes, it's it's um, going to be a big life change. That's amazing. <laughs> it's so nice doing that over Christmas as well, nesting over Christmas. That would yeah. be lovely. Oh, I'm jealous. <laughs> Can I come? <laughs> Right, Emma, we, we could we could go on all afternoon about this because it's always so awesome talking to you. But, however, we need to wrap it up. Um, uh, Emma, thank you so much for your time, as always. Um, I can't wait to see you in a couple of months' time on November 29th, which is when we will be running the Fitter Food Academy um, health hormones and happiness yep. uh, seminar, which is targeted primarily towards women. Um, gents are more than welcome to come along because there's going to be tons of awesome information in there. Um, Keris is going to be, of course, speaking. Um, you're going to be. What's what's your thing? <laughs> I'm covering stress and adrenal oh. adrenal health. <laughs> Interesting, uh, Emma, and you'll be covering pretty much gut health and how important that is, digestion, nutrient absorption, etc. Yeah, absolutely. And how you know people think, even if people think that their guts are healthy, they're, they're probably not. Awesome. And uh, we've also got uh, Anna Marsh as well, who we are also recording a podcast with today also. Yeah. Um, and she's going to be talking about uh, like macronutrient splits, etc., and targeting it towards like training and so on and so on. But it is going to be an absolutely awesome day. 